trust the movement I negate the chaos Uplift the negative I'll show up at the table again and again Welcome to Grassroot Ohio Conversations with everyday people working on important issues here in Columbus and all around Ohio I'm Carolyn Harding and today I'm talking with Roxanne Groff and Chief Sill in the thick of Ohio oil and gas rule making updating the Ohio Class II injection well regulations written by the Ohio Department of Natural Resources and slated for a hearing at the State House J Carr Committee Joint Committee on Agency Rule Review as early as Monday December 6 Roxanne Groff in 1978 became one of the founding members of Save Our Rural Environment, a grassroots group protesting the permitting of strip mines in eastern Athens County. Her interest in state law and the lack of implementation of rules by the regulatory agencies led her to run for public office, first for township trustee, then for the county commissioner. Believing that people must have a voice in decisions made about protecting our environment, she has participated in many campaigns to bring awareness to communities to help challenge the abuses by industry that will affect the health and well-being of citizens. Most recently, Roxanne has been working with Buckeye Environmental Network and the Ohio Brine Task Force, campaigning to stop two dangerous bills in the Ohio General Assembly regarding making toxic radioactive oil and gas waste a commodity as well as opposing the new rules for injection wells and oil and gas waste facilities. Silverio Cajano is the retired Fire Department Battalion Chief of Youngstown, Ohio, of 39 years. He's a hazmat weapons of mass destruction specialist for 29 years, a fire and hazmat weapon of mass destruction instructor, paramedic for 41 years. Chief Sill is a member of the State of Ohio Hazmat Weapons of Mass Destruction Technical Advisory Committee. He's been involved with Citizens First Responder Chemical Right to Know issues related to fracking since 2011. He testified to the Ohio Senate and House subcommittees on fracking, worked with Pennsylvania on their recommended legislation on fracking from the Attorney General's Office of Environmental Crimes. He worked with Justin Noble and is quoted on articles appearing in Rolling Stone magazine and Desmog blog. He's been consulted and quoted on national reports about fracking and polyfluoroalkyl substances, which are known as forever chemicals, PFAS. And Chief Sill is a part of a Norwegian documentary on stat oils, wellhead fire, and the subsequent spill in Monroe County, Ohio. He works with Teresa Mills and Buckeye Environmental Network now and in the past on issues relating to fracking and its waste streams. I got my start in activism 10 years ago, raising the alarm of the radioactive waste stream of fracking and conventional oil and gas waste. You both have been integral to this fight to protect Ohio citizens from indiscriminate, dangerous regulation and laws, most of which favor the oil and gas industry, allowing the massive radioactive waste stream to be dumped into our watersheds, landfills, injection wells, and spread on our roads and highways as ice and dust control, aka brine. Roxanne, you testified before the Ohio Department of Natural Resources earlier this week. Tell us why you testified and what you testified for. Sure, Carolyn. It's nice to be on the show again, and, and it's really great to be with, with Chief Sill. He has been an enormous help in the campaign against 
radioactive waste brine uh, in Ohio. So um, the Department of Natural Resources Division of Oil and Gas is at it again. They they have completely ignored public input on it very, very critically important pieces of legislation for the state of Ohio. And they had a public hearing on Monday, and there were a few people who testified asking, specifically asking the chief of the Division of Oil and Gas, Eric Vendel, to withdraw the rules that have been submitted for review uh, to JCAR. And as you, you mentioned, the group. And the reason is because of all the reasons that we have been uh, protesting oil and gas waste uh, existing rules and laws, and that is they they fail. They fail miserably in protecting the public, our communities, our water, and, and our air. So the campaign opposing the, the rules, the new rules before that are before JCAR are twofold. One set of rules rescinds a whole existing set of rules that guide injection wells, class two injection wells, and then propose a whole new set of rules. The second set of rules that is combined with the injection wells is the regulation or the rulemaking on oil and gas radioactive waste facilities that already exist in Ohio under chief's orders. So Dogram, in their way to their infinite wisdom against the public, has combined these rules and pushed these, you know, uh, uh, the rules themselves are about 63 pages, but the documents being reviewed by the public, 328 pages. Now, (laughs) some of us look at all that so that we can speak factually to why we oppose these rules and and reminding the public, this is all dealing with oil and gas waste, radioactive brine. And that's, that's why Chief Sills experience, not only with the industry, but what he has done in for in his communities have been so important to our opposition to these rules. Thank you, Roxanne. Um, Chief Sill, what is your connection with this radioactive waste brine? Well, the direct connection to the radioactive waste and the brine in that came when uh, Austin Masters decided they wanted to set up shop in the city of Youngstown. And um, the local activists kind of let the cat out of the bag and people started complaining. And the chief called, our, the departmental chief called me one day and said, uh, hey, how's your radioactive game doing? I said, oh, probably about the best in the county. So, you know, what do you got? And he explained to me that he had a meeting set up with the plant, the plant manager. So we went down there and it wasn't the plant manager we we're going to talk to. It was the uh, uh, science specialist. And immediately he started to throw $50 words meant to pretty much glaze the eyes over, over normal people that don't deal with this. My chief kind of looked at me with this confused look, and I just shook my head and, and you know, told him, let go. So he was telling us that they were going to do this. They weren't going to do that. They weren't going to open up any containers. They weren't, you know, and I'm letting them go and I'm letting them go and I'm letting them go. And then he starts talking about T-norms. I say, yeah, this is about it. You know, this is a time to start this conversation in earnest. And um, I just kind of said, so what do you define as a T-norm? And he just looked and he says, well, what do you mean? I says, well, you have norms, you have background radiation, you have technically enhanced radiation. What's your classification? Because that seems to be a sliding scale in the industry. And he just kind of sat up in his chair and the conversation went on. And eventually he caught on that this wasn't two fire chiefs 
and normal everyday fire chiefs that he was talking to. And I finally got him to admit that he lied about not opening up the radioactive containers. There's no way you can detect for alpha and beta in a metal container without opening up the container to detect because it doesn't pass through. And we caught him in a series of, of problems. Um, he set the uh, place where they wanted to do business was approximately a thousand feet from the Mahoning River in Youngstown, which is a, believe it or not, federal navigable rail, um, waterway. So we brought that up and he quickly said they were going to do no down blending, but yet there was piles of dirt on property. Um, so we kind of figured they were going to be doing down blending. And then we told them that, you know, we inspected the place. We did a tour of the facility. And uh, my chief just threw in there, yeah, our inspectors will be through here once or twice a year, you know, unannounced. And we'll Excuse be- me, Chief Sill. For many people, they do not know what kind of facility this is that Austin is. Austin please, Masters, yeah. Yes. Can you please kind of give folks an idea of what kind of facility this is? Austin Masters handles radioactive waste from um, the, uh, at that time, they're hand they're talking about bringing in drill cuttings and they were going to be bringing in filter socks and stuff from injection walls. And that stuff's loaded with, with radiation. And they were going to determine, supposedly determine what the sources of radiation were and what the levels were so that they can ship them to the appropriate place for terminal distri uh, distribution. Um, that's what they're going to do. And um, when they found out that we were going to watch them, he immediately said, well, I don't think that, you know, Youngstown probably is going to be our place to do this kind of stuff anyway. Uh, we're probably going to open up shop further down south where a lot of this stuff is going on. And Austin Masters went, of course, to Martin's Ferry, where we now have a big problem with them doing that processing radioactive waste sitting atop the city's aquifer. That's where I first got involved with handling facilities. Um, I had been involved with uh, injection wells through uh, Teresa Mills for quite some time, talking about where these waste streams are coming, especially dealing with the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, they were closing their loopholes and making sure that they couldn't do injection wells. And same thing with uh, the state of West Virginia, which meant all, you know, all the, uh, the, the debris was coming to Ohio for processing. And um, that's kind of where I jumped into all of that after I jumped down the rabbit hole on uh, citizens' right to know and first responders' right to know just what the hell's going in these wells to begin with. That's what right. What kind of pushback did you get um, coming from the system? You're a, you're a state or a city employee, or a, were you a state employee? City employee. I sit on a state technical advisory board. So um, did you get a lot of pushback? Not really. No. Um, even when I testified in front of the uh, the legislature, um, they're kind of polite. Uh, I educated them on a few things. I had one guy that signed the bill allowing fracking in the state of Ohio that had absolutely no clue what the heck was going on about disclosure laws. And I educated him on that. And um, I got the usual, uh, we, we're working on something, which is political speak for thanks for coming, have a nice day. So I really don't get pushback even from the industry because I think they're kind of worried if they push back, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person, yeah, want to push me back, go ahead. I'll push back as well. So I, I don't get that. I just get Let's get him off the stage, send him on his way, and that ends that. In my city, I'm looked at as kind of, uh, I hate to use the term uh, subject matter expert. I hate using the term expert because as soon as you say you're an expert, somebody smarter than you shows up. Yeah. But um, I'm knowledgeable in that field. My area recommends it. Safe to say there's been no wells or frack, you know, fracking uh, disposable wells that have 
consistently operated in the state in the city of Youngstown. They tried one, but uh, it caused an earthquake, and that was the end of that. But yeah, I, I, I don't get a lot of pushback. I don't get a lot of um, people that, um, that try to challenge me. And every once in a while, I get people that question me. Well, you know, this scientist was there and he said this was this and this was that. And I said, well, where did the scientists come from? He says, well, you know, from the oil company. I said, yeah, he's being paid $80,000 to come here and tell you that it's nice and safe. I'm standing here for free telling you, no, it's not. So, you know, who do you want to believe here? You know, you can believe the paid man who's paid this show for a company. Or you can believe the guy that just gives a crap about what's, you know, what my kids are going to grow up in in you know, the years to come, what kind of uh, you know, landscape and future they're going to have. Take that segue from who do they listen to is um, to you, Roxanne, in your testimony. Um, you had several people testifying in front of the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. What kind of folks testified? I know that Dr. Julie Weatherington Rice testified. She's a science, soil scientist. And did the ODNR pay heed to these testimonies? No, they... You know, not only did they not pay heed, they the heed should have been paid before they started writing the rules. I mean, these are rules, especially on the on the waste facilities. Those exist now under what's called a chief's order, which is simply the chief of the Department of Natural Resources Division of Oil and Gas saying, eh, fill out this application and you can put your highly radioactive waste facility wherever you want, because there were no rules guiding that. So in the last seven years, the Department of Natural Resources, through people like Chief Sill and myself and uh, attorneys from Earth Justice and Sierra Club and many, many, many citizens that live in the communities affected by this have been saying, you know, listen to us, listen to us, listen to us. We have the scientists, we have the background, we have the information, we have the facts. Seven years later, they write rules with no public input other than accepting comments online. And this is after they made the statement that they had spent months with industry, months with industry, having meetings with them, having virtual meetings with them. And that includes, that's the industry. That's the so-called affected parties, which is the industry. Meeting with them for months, the rules are drafted. They're clearly written by industry and in the administrative rules for, for rulemaking, it says advisory committees can be added to the process so that for environmental justice reasons, you can have people like us who are the real affected parties because we live in the communities in which these radioactive toxic facilities are placed or the injection wells are placed. And every comment that was submitted by a public person or an attorney or an environmental group not one, not one was put in the rulemaking. So, you know, this is blatant disregard and, and miserable environmental justice assaults on us again and again and again. Um, and that's what the public needs to, to really understand is that, you know, these things, the, the, the department announced didn't make these rules out of nowhere. They've been planning with industry to have these rules written on by industry, for industry, with total disregard to what the real effects of this horrible radioactive waste stuff is doing to us all. This is Carolyn Harding with Grassroots Ohio Radio, and I'm talking with Roxanne Groff and Chief Sill, and we are discussing rules 
that the committee at uh, the state house have to decide upon as if they are um, good for our state regarding oil and gas fracking injection wells, class two um, injection wells. And also, does this include the um, the two bills about the commodifying of frack brine, Roxanne? Well, that those bills are in a committee and could become law. So they're, they're, it's the same stuff. Right. It's it's the same radioactive waste, but those are bills that will become law. These are rules to supplement existing statutes under Chapter 1509, which no, nobody cares about that kind of stuff. So this is a specific request from mainly the public or all public asking the committee who is going to review these rules to send them back to ODNR. It's called invalidate or or remove them from their review process. Send them back to ODNR. Take the comments that have been submitted by technical and scientific experts and experienced experts, the public, and redo them and include us, include Chief Sill, include Buckeye Environmental Network, include the attorneys that you know understand these laws. Okay, my listeners. ODNR. Grassroot Ohio listeners are hearing this for the first time on Friday and Sunday, and the hearing is on Monday, the following Monday, the 6th of December. What can concerned citizens do over the weekend to um, contact their legislators about this? Because it's such short notice, the public always should be raising their voice in a concerned tone. And if nothing else, you write to the, the JCAR committee or legislators to say, you know, invalidate these rules, send them back and include the people, you know, include we the people in this process because we are the affected party. Industry is not the affected party. They're, they're going to do their dirty radioactive business no matter what. But our communities are the ones whose health and welfare are at, are at stake. So by uh, contacting the committee and saying, you know, send those rules back, send them back, send them back, you know, okay. very sincerely. So folks can go it. online to Ohio, um, yes. Ohio um, Statehouse um, website, yeah. ohiohouse.gov. That's it. Mm-hmm. And folks need to research JCAR which is, um, do you know what that stands for, Roxanne? The Joint Committee on Agency Rule Review. And it's capital J, capital C, capital A, capital RR. Okay, and they can look them up in in the um, the Ohio Gov uh, website and then see who's on that committee. And you can email those people. So they get that email first thing Monday morning when before they come to the hearing and they have your voice saying we want you to send those rules back to odnr correct correct we're hoping that by the time the committee meets at one o'clock p.m in the mckinley room at the ohio state house to hear live testimony that there will be people that will be writing in calling in and expressing their concern our voices are important and we Chief, are what do you of- recommend, Chief? Let me let me try to paint your listeners a picture of what's at stake here. Okay. If you can imagine like a thousand acre farm, okay? Now put hundreds of thousands of barrels unmarked of chemicals on that in that field. That's what we used to have during the Superfund cleanup sites where you had all this chemical waste from the industry. Now imagine taking all of that 
chemical waste, dangerous chemical waste, and shoving it down a tube thousands and thousands of feet under your ground, underground without the barrels. And the industry is talking about it's being safe, it's not leaking, but as Dr. Weatherington Rice would tell you, in order for an injection well to work, it's got to leak because if you just keep stuffing it down the tube, eventually you're going to fill the tube. So it's got to go somewhere. We have no idea subsurface where this stuff ends up. It could hit a crack. It could hit a fault. It could hit a fissure. It's caused earthquakes. It could end up in your drinking water. So that's kind of what's at stake. And they're playing on this game out of sight, out of mind. Oh, yeah, it's down in a hole. It's safe thousands and thousands of feet. under. No, it's not. It's going somewhere. And if I could go to the Rocky Mountains and pick up a fossil that used to be a thousand feet under the water, it's now thousands of feet up in the air. Sometime in the future, that stuff's going to come up too. And that's what we're fighting about. We're fighting about that and the fact that when we had all these sites, we passed a law called Sarah Title II. It was the Chemical Right to Know Act that gave every citizen in the United States the right to know what chemicals people are putting anywhere. And the oil and gas industry has been exempted from doing that. And not only the oil and gas industry, but also the chemical industry, because when you look at the oil and gas industry, they're getting their, their, uh, their chemicals from somewhere, and that's the chemical industry. And the chemical industry is not disclosing what's in those, um, those chemicals because they're going to oil and gas. So you're fighting a two-headed monster, the oil and gas industry and the chemical industry, which are two of the largest industries in the United States. So it's no wonder these bills get put together, these rules get put together, and they don't want to, they don't want to talk to you. They don't want anything to do it because they're trying to reduce their liability in the future. We don't know what can, and, and, and it's happened to me. What's, you know, what do you, what's in it? We don't know. We got it from another company. Here's the MSD issue. There's, there's nothing on it, but we don't know what it is. It's that game that they're playing and they're playing it with our earth, potentially our drinking water, what's underground. And that's, what's at stake. That's why the people have to become vocal because the people that are approving this stuff, you put there, you voted them in. Now it's your job to find out what's going on, what these people are and aren't doing, who owns them, who's allowing them to disregard experts and uh, vote them out. And like I always like to say, before every disaster movie, there's some experts saying, hey, this could happen. We're saying, hey, this could happen. And you need, you need to get the changes so that these rules and regulations will uh, adequately affect some protection for the citizens. You know, a lot of the farm communities is where this stuff is at. Right. But what's happening in the farm community? That's where we get our cows, our chickens, our, our, our grain. And a lot of these accidents are occurring in farm communities. So the breadbasket of Ohio, the breadbaskets of the nation are being adversely affected by these goofball rules that they're coming up with. That's what's at stake. Wake up. So tell me, why should students, young professionals, parents, millennials, boomers, elders, rural and urban folks be concerned? about this waste? What does it literally do to people's bodies, this radioactive waste? Well, you're talking about radium-226 and 228, which, which have, have been known by industry and these regulatory agencies for years that this radium, these radionuclides exist in oil and gas waste. It's in conventional waste, it's in fracking waste. And Radium-226 is around for 1,600 years, 1,600 years. That's the half-life. Radium-226 is a bone-seeking potential cancer-causing radionuclide, and it seeks bones like calcium does. 
So if it's in the water, if it's in the ditches, if it's in the dirt, if it's airborne in uh, dust suppressant that townships and counties might put on their roads, that means in addition to what radioactive background radiation is in your soils is increased by how many fold by the addition of this, you know, reckless, reckless um, uh, oversight by agencies that allow this stuff to go anywhere that the industry wants it to go. It doesn't just go down a hole and stay there, just like the chief said. Chief so Phil, yeah, chief Phil, what about your workers? What about this waste on your uh, frontline workers? Well, it's, it's, it's a multifold problem. Um, let's say the state of Ohio gets their, their wish and they start spreading this on the roads everywhere. So now, how many times have you come back from the store and you've the side of your car has been white from the, the, uh, the road salt? Now that stuff, it's not just road salt anymore. It's, it's a radioactive material. Some of that radioactive material there's got a half-life, half-life like Roxanne said, of 1,600 years or 16,000 years. So you bring that in the house. You brush by your car. It's on the white. How many times have you brushed the stuff off? So, you know, I got salt. so you're tracking that into your house. You throw your clothes in or it gets on, you, you know, it gets on the floor and your dog starts to lick on it. And then she comes and licks you and your kids are playing in it. And it's bioaccumulative. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's like cigarettes. One cigarette probably is not going to kill you, but you keep exposing yourself over and over and over and over. Our body takes radium and it brings it right to the bones because it thinks it's calcium. And that's where it sits. It causes all kinds of, you know, bone cancers, all kinds of blood cancers because the bones are where the blood is made. And again, it bioaccumulates. So every time you go out, every time you brush it, if you happen to have, if you're a smoker and you happen to be smoking as you're driving, and they're spraying in front of it, it's aerosolized, you're going to breathe it in. Once it gets inside you, unlike other radioactive isotopes, you're not going to eliminate it. It's staying. It's going to your bones. It's going to your hair. It's going to your nails. It's staying. And you're going to accumulate it and accumulate it and accumulate it. And your kids are going to get it. We have less than one minute. If folks don't remember anything else that you say today, what is the one thing you want them to get? Um, Chief Still. This is our world. We have the right to know what these, these industries are doing with it. Fight for the right to know what's going in there for your kids, for yourself, for the future. Thank you. And Roxanne. That's hard to beat, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, if we stay silent, then that's our fault. If we don't use our voice, then they've taken, nobody takes your voice from you unless you let them. So um, it's difficult. You know, this is not easy stuff. But people need to know that we are we're, we're the we count. We are the affected parties. Use your voice and call your legislator. Say this is bad. Thank you for joining us. In addition to our Friday 5 p.m. broadcast on WGRN.org, Grassroot Ohio now airs on Sundays at 2 p.m. on WCRSFM.org and at 4 p.m. on WEJPLP in Wheeling, Moundsville, West Virginia. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio, 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back.